0: There's a time in the retail calendar when you're designing your Christmas windows. And let me tell you, when you're one of the big stores, and I was, I was Harvey Nichols' creative director. Down the road was Harrods. Up the other end of Oxford Street was Selfridges. Then you had Liberty and Regent Street. And the fight was on. The fight was on to design the best Christmas windows. Who could be the most glitzy? Who could be the most glamorous? Who could be the most daring? Who's going to have the people standing outside their windows queuing to get in? Creating, not just commerce, art. But this Christmas, I felt something different. I decided not to do Christmas windows and to spend the money that I would have done on those windows, let me tell you, many, many, many thousands, and give them to a charity. Now, I loved that idea. There I was, Saint Mary, not Virgin Mary for sure, but here's the thing, you have to sell it into the board, don't you? People aren't going to want that, Mary. You can't shove charity down their nose when they're going in and they're choosing which piece of dolce they want to buy or Chanel that Christmas and gift. You can't do that. It's not going to work. But I fought it because I wanted to believe that we could make a difference, that we could actually give a message that said, yeah, Everybody's Christmas isn't going to be the same. And so I took the money and I gave it to five different charities. Each of them got something like five to 10,000 pounds each. One was for Great Ormond Street, one was for Save the Children, one was for the homeless. And I stripped the windows bare, just put a light in, and each window said, Merry Christmas, kids. But let's not forget, I was in a commercial business, being creative and being kind. Well, that's great. But were we going to make more money that Christmas? Well, the board needn't have worried, we did. And in turn, we were able to, from that profit, give money to those charities, many thousands each. Merry Christmas, kids. And the message in that is, you can be kind, you can be commercial. We just put people first, profit still came. It doesn't always have to be profit first. This is Work Like a Woman, and I'm Mary Portas, and with me is the one and only... Emily Bryce
1: Perkins.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: need to find the right rhythm saying my own name. Why are you looking at me like
0: that? I don't know. What Stop being did so self like
1: Speaking of self-conscious... Yeah. You were in the Harvey Nicks documentary.
0: You know, I saw out. it. Was, I, it was sort of slightly random. Someone sent me a text and said, oh, you're on telly now. And I thought, oh, oh, they must be showing one of my old shows. And it was me, age 32, in Harvey Nicks. Large what were you it. saying? Large in it, of course. Just large in it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was showing the work that I did with Thomas Heatherwick when I put in... I got and commissioned Thomas Heatherwick to do a window. and That was for Christmas, wasn't it? No, it wasn't a Christmas it was one. Not. It was the last window I did there. And I just remember thinking, that was just really great stuff. It was combining, you know, culture and art with commerce I've always loved doing that you know, he was I a kid, quite enjoyed myself he? and I looked like my daughter and she was like you look like me I was like yeah, I, yeah sweet it was really sweet <laughs> I need to watch it
1: Did you read this? I don't know if you saw this week. Um, in Melbourne. So you obviously just came back from Melbourne. Mm. It's a shame you missed this. But they had this excellent festival called Broadside. And it was like Zadie Smith, Aline Morton Robinson. There were lots of brilliant authors there. They also had Monica Lewinsky. And one of them that really stood out for me was Aileen. I'm probably saying her name wrong. Really embarrassing. Aline Morton Robinson. Um, so she's an Australian academic. She's an indigenous feminist. And she was talking about feminism in the relation to Mother Earth, which I thought was very interesting. I'm just going to read out something to you that you might like. So she said, we will not survive while we continually think that we are worth more than every other living thing. Lots of different cultures have relationships with non-human others. The earth is not an inert thing. And once you have the concept of that, everything is alive, where you walk, how you treat the earth is how you treat every living thing. And I thought that was the way the world is moving at the moment in terms of our connection with the planet. I just thought that was really beautiful.
0: Do you know, when I bought my house in the Cotswolds, I moved into just by Stroud. And Stroud is this area that is just full of fabulous people who just care about this planet. And there was an amazing woman who sadly died called Polly Higgins, who's a lawyer, barrister, who has been fighting, and they're still taking on her cause, for it to be a law of ecocide, so that people or businesses that harm Our planet can be taken up and actually sued. Um, She was particularly after Shell. And um, she sadly died very, very young, age 50, of cancer. But she was the one who's kickstarted. It's happening across the world and it's extraordinary. And it's saying, you know, a tree can have a right. Rivers can have a right. And who the hell are we to abuse our planet? So, it's, you know, it gets back to the three Ps that we talk about. Mm. People, planet then profit, instead of the other way around. Exactly. That's really lovely. I love that that. I I really love that. I'll give you stuff on on Polly's work because um, we need to keep this going. This is more important than anything else we've actually talked about because it's about a respect for the earth and where we live. And, well, we know what's all going on in the rainforest, which is just so, so Mm. tragic. But we need voices like this who are pushing forward and actually making it, you know, a law to not exactly. damage our, our planet nice one I'm Emily Bryce Perkins I really daddy. like that anyway on to today in this planet on our little part of the world here in London town in who have we got kitchen. who's coming in who's um, knocking at that door who's we that have knocking at the door who's ringing my we've bell we've got Toby
1: Wiseman <gasps> editor of men's health magazine the number one selling men's magazine in the country we got toby on because not only is he a brilliant and fascinating man like men's health do so much for raising awareness yeah. of obviously men's health but men's mental health yeah. and particularly to do with work and be, you know before that to do with schools and they've commissioned some incredible research projects that toby's going to talk to us about um they also work with men's health forum um which is a charity to kind of yeah help men le- better learn better navigate Within the world today. And I think by the end of the interview, I felt quite bad for men. <laughs> I definitely had a moment. You're pulling a your face at me now. No, 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 no But I, I just, no, thought, no, no, God,
0: I'm not pulling so... your face. Don't let me out to be like a right left wing leather <laughs> out there against man. I know not pulling a face. But i sons, know... brothers, and I, I agree. I think any group that's ever been suppressed over the years have had to fight to have their place in society to have a voice, to have rights. You know, that's why we have the black movement, the gay movement, you know, all of these things because they've been suppressed. Men haven't been suppressed. That's the issue. But, but the world's moved on and because they haven't been suppressed and they haven't had to fight anywhere near the battles that we've had to fight or LGBT or, you know, race issues... They haven't evolved and they're stuck in some ways and that is tragic in itself and that's what we need to deal with because the world's changed and you only grow, you only grow by the things that happen to you and interacting with things that aren't always positive in the world and too many men have had it too easy. Now, that's not to say that we should be ignoring the needs of men. It's vital that we help young men particularly to understand their place in this new world and to actually stop and drop those codes of behaviors that they think they still need to adhere to yeah and that's what we're going to hear about from Toby actually but we're going to start with Toby
1: talking about how those male values get mm. passed on from generation to generation and the effect that that can have
2: the way I've lived my life has basically come down to things that my dad used to say to me when I was a kid a fairly innocuous philosophy like, and basically you say to me, I don't care how you do. It doesn't matter how you do in your maths test. As long as you try your best, that's great. And it's as simple as that. And I think that has kind of fucked me up for oh my God, whole oh, life. Oh,
0: stop saying that. No, I, no, I say that to my
2: well, no, but this, but this is the thing.
0: Oh, my God, Milo. I'm sorry. <laughs> Verity, I'm sorry. Well, the, Horatio.
2: But, but this, is, this is the sick thing. Because even though I've come to the conclusion it probably has hampered me, It's got me places, don't get me wrong, you mm. know, because I've tried my best and I've made you know, varying successes of my life, but it's also given me a cross to bear. And yet still, I say the same things to my own yeah. son. And that kind of hardwiring thing—I know that I don't, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I, I'm still saying this to my son. Your
0: parents—they fuck you up.
2: And, the reason and I'm, the, I have to say the, to
0: anybody who's listening, he's sitting in front of me with <laughs> his notepad and my book open, with more notes because you are doing your best. Yeah. But it, yeah. can I also say it is charming and wonderful? And you are charming and wonderful. No, you really are. And um, we need more men like you in the world. So I wouldn't be knocking yourself too much on
2: that. I'm there not, is something not, very beautiful about I suppose about what it. I'm trying to say is I would, again, reading your book um, and listening to the way in which you conducted yourself in, in navigating the corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. And, and you were saying stuff about. I went to a board meeting and I knew where I would have to sit in order to have you know, the, yeah. the most ch- uh, best chance of influencing the CEO or I knew which people to lobby and how to do it and when to get angry, when to stay quiet, when to be passionate. That's the stuff that I am rubbish at because I can't help saying what I think mm-hmm. in, in the most in, you know, inopportune <laughs> times. Surely there is, should be more than one route to success at work and there's, surely there should be room for people who are perhaps like me and a bit mad and basically yeah. just wants to sort of relentlessly read or work or send long emails and blah blah, blah. but also someone who can literally you know back of a fag packet kind of person have the two of them in the boardroom together
0: well i think that's right but i think you you might be the long email and you might be the back of the fag packet (laughs) she's looking at me it's why we work so well together (laughs) well well i think i I think i'm the back of the fag packet too you know it's we use a lot of instinct but you've got somewhere very great i mean look you know you are editor of men's health you're yeah. in a position where you are able to to share your feelings your emotions and where your sensitivities and where you believe the world should be for, for men through the, the medium. So that's quite yeah. a powerful place to be isn't it it is
2: absolutely and that's and that's why i get to kick out of the work that we're doing particularly at this moment because you know men's health 10 15 years ago was pretty much sort of um uh, fairly limited to building six packs and bigger mm. biceps, and you, know, you can't claim to be a magazine called Men's Health if you're not dealing with every aspect of their health. You know, and and, and frankly, there's a lot going on sort of beneath the skin, and it, often it's sort of I think it's what actually sort of troubles oh. people more than anything else. More than else. anything else.
1: When you were talk, when Toby, you were talking about. Men at work and struggling with the um, those sort of role models and like trying to be like their father. And I had a guilt, which is interesting as a woman. (laughs) I felt bad. You feel bad for these men. I'm like, what? Because it's actually the women. There'll be women that are forcing men or judging men if they are open or they're too emotional or whatever. Because it's still down to you know we both have this push and pull, isn't it, with women and men? And I think as we were talking about the alpha women, but actually just women letting men navigate this new world because it's really tough. And especially the younger guys, like the, all the phrases like, you know, man up and whatever. Women are guilty of that as well. And women have to realise if, really, if we want to be equal, we need to give It's a really room. interesting
2: point because I struggle with this w- with my wife. We, what does we, your wife do? Well, currently, she is a teaching support assistant at a primary school, but we met in magazines. She was worked in, in uh, marketing at Condé Nast, and I've worked in editorial when we met, I mean, she's five years older than me, she earned significantly more than me. And until we sort of had a kid, I'm talking about how I'm hardwired. I see myself as a feminist and yet at the same time I'm still very much that old school guy in many, many respects. And still very much my self esteem comes from how hard I work, you know, and, and acknowledgement of work and money and, and the rest of it. Equally, and this is a far more common and perhaps far more uh, justifiable sort of wrench, had that thing, I'm defined by my work, I've worked, you know, for 20 years and I value my career and yet my mum stayed at home looking after me and my brothers and she felt that she should be doing that with her kids and didn't do it with our first child, then did do it with a second child. Then felt completely conflicted because she was doing what she wanted to do at the same time thinking, well, who am I now? Because I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've for the last 20 years, I let's say I've been defined by um, being a modern career focused woman. As it is, when what we do now is fairly kind of old and conventional, even though I think we thought very, very carefully about how to em- embrace it. And something that really, really struck me a couple of weeks ago, I took my i went to a pub on sunday lunchtime i took my nine-year-old daughter because she idolizes the barmaid there um and i said i do that And my, my seven-year-old
0: that. son sits up at the bar like oh, some yeah. old bloke. Oh, yeah. only Absolutely. uses a flat pack <laughs> but, Pat, hat, hat, flat pack a flat hat he sits up at the bar
2: i love but this, it <laughs> so, so what i'm trying to say is I, I think we're a fairly enlightened household yeah um and yet my nine-year-old daughter was talking to this barmaid who's called kelsey and she said kelsey if you got um a boyfriend? <laughs> and she said, um, no, I, have, I, don't need a, I don't need a boyfriend. And my daughter said, but who's going to look after you? And I was absolutely aghast. I said, oh, no. where on earth did you get that from? You, you don't need a man to look after you. We had Viv
0: Groskop on here and she talked about social editing because it doesn't matter what we show them. Our children, it starts to be all those messages that start coming when they hit a certain age, which is seven when they're yeah. really yep. aware. And yep. they will see through television you know you through, did a study right yeah.
1: for schools what was the um the men's health
2: because we had done so much work at the, at the business end of mental ill health i suicide in men i thought i can't carry on focusing on this because it's all very well drawing attention and to this kind of stuff and doing an awareness piece but in some ways it just felt like trying to sort of shut the stable door after the horse had bolted and then I sort of read somewhere that if, for for men who, or just people in general, if they um, have suffered from depression or anxiety or whatever, then often they would they may well have suffered that first pang as early as fourteen. So just because it was obvious to me, I thought, well, we need to go and actually sort of nip this in the bud and talk to kids. So we went and worked with a school in Lambeth. A really inspirational sort of head teacher there. She realised that I mean there is no ring fenced budget for. Um, mental health resources. Um, It's up to them whether they get get this stuff or not. I think she she made the point that a a school in a far more sort of salubrious area, they could think, well, we can either, and where league tables are ever important, you know, we could get someone in who's going to basically take care of the mental health of our school kids, but we could get another math teacher and, you know, it's a no-brainer. Where they were in sort of inner city London, basically decided that actually it wasn't a luxury of a choice that they could afford because they had kids who, through no fault of their own, but purely living a pretty hard life, were mentally challenged, so to speak. So it's absolutely essential for them to have that kind of provision there so they could actually sort of create kids who are feeling comfortable enough within themselves to then go and learn. So So we went and watched how that was working and focused particularly on four, we put four different kids on the cover which we put on sale literally in, in Lambeth so they could basically try and make oh. heroes at the school. And it, it was a, a fantastic thing to do. And mm-hmm. since we've done that, actually, those kids have now sort of done their GCSEs and they've set up their own initiative to try and help other kids. And wow. It all sounds, sounds very, wonderful. It sounds very worthy, but it was actually it was, it was, no, it was really, important. really important. And it, it sort of I thought, this is real. And actually, then we started campaigning that, to Ofsted. If you're going to do sort of reports on schools and say so whether, whether something is outstanding or good or failing, then in order to be outstanding, or in order to be good, part of the criteria has to be, what are you doing for the mental health of your kids?
0: Let's just look at some of the stats that you compiled in your Men's Health Forum. They suggest that men comprise 73% of adults who go missing, 87% of rough sleepers, and 95% of the prison population. That is just so shocking. You believe if men thought more like a woman when it comes to health, the mental health, it could save their life. Can we just talk about that? Because this is something that has, you know, we have great men who are talking about mental health. Stephen Fry being a a great leader in that. And other men in the public eye are just saying, you know, I do suffer with this. How can we break
2: this through? When I first started looking at those statistics, I wrote a piece a couple of years ago called In Defense of Men. We've been doing quite a lot of work on mental health and how mental ill health disproportionately affects men and suicide in particular. But then it was around that time there was these um, statistics that came out saying that prostate cancer had overtaken breast cancer as in the League of of Biggest Killers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which was a big shock at the the, the time. And there was a lot of knee-jerk reaction because it works because, you know, breast cancer gets lots more funding than prostate cancer and blah, blah, blah. But I actually spoke to a lot of people, doctors and campaigners. And I realise that part of the reason why it gets so much more funding is because women are actually far more proactive when it comes to discussing things together, joining forces and actually sort of campaigning. Lots more charity work goes into raising money for breast cancer, whereas men just basically bury their heads in the sand. And I realise that there's, there's, there's a common thread here. I think you know, men are less likely to go to the doctors for f- physical health reasons or mental Ill health, health reasons. There's a, it's a terrible statistic. When men and women so a cancer that affects both of them. So it's lung cancer. Mm-hmm. If a, a man and a woman was diagnosed with lung cancer at the same age, the man would be 68% more likely to die than the woman, because it's it's likely that he would have actually gone on salt treatment far later than the woman. He may have actually been far less proactive and actually sort of dealing with it afterwards. They do put their heads in the sand. And my conclusion for this is that all of those kind of alpha characteristics that we associate with, with the reasons why men have got a head in the workplace, got a head in politics, the reason why they've had all these opportunities and privileges, that kind of ruthlessness, that selflessness, the fact that they don't discuss, they don't emote, are exactly the same reasons why we've been given such a bad deal in the health, both physical and mental sex. Yeah. So we're basically our own worst enemy. I come to the conclusion that if men actually start acting more like women, whether that be just in the way that they look after themselves as well as uh, respect to others then they may stand far more of a chance of leading a happier life and a healthier life.
0: It just shows us, though, realistically, though, that certainly in my lifetime, this energy that you that was just put into the world, across the world, this didn't just happen here, was what I have kind of felt we've lived with for 30 years because it made money. Mm-hmm. Because it made money. I mean, and looking at you when you talked about I went into the bank because I had to get that money in order to create the sort of life that I wanted to and actually give myself a creative thought process or a creative life that actually meant I could fund myself. And today we have a city that young people can't come and live in. That, that, that is yeah. an even worse problem yeah. today, isn't it? Absolutely. Because unless you've got money, how do you come in to London and live or train within any Mm -hmm. industry at all and so therefore how do we get off this ridiculous motorbike that feels that it's still on the hard shoulder and we haven't got a helmet on and we're still speeding at that but we're all craving desperately for a different life where where do they where do we start emily have you got any answers
1: no I don't think so. I'm just no, but sort of really. I know so I, came, massively... I came to London later and I remember feeling like I could only do it later because I had a bit of money then.
2: What I do think is that what we can do is change a lot about workplaces in general. Yeah. To accommodate all kinds of people. I mean one of the chapters in your book that really sort of resonated with me was the bringing your whole self to work. Yeah. And again I'm going back to that goes kind of alpha characters and you talk about people um, going to work or so wearing a mask and of course there are going to be men like Michael Douglas in Wall Street who are going in to, you know, and owning that workplace because that they almost have that kind of pathological
0: yeah. intensity
2: um, absolutely yeah, they, they are and there are mm, lots and mm-hmm. lots and I've worked with many sociopaths I'm sure mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are going into work perhaps men and feeling that they have to wear that mask of or albeit another mask that is not doing them many favours in terms of their own sort of mental health. So we've actually recently um, commissioned quite a big survey on male mental health and the workplace. We had about 5,000 respondents to this one. So not massive, but still a a decent portion, and up and down the country. And crucially, what we were doing is focused not just on white-collar jobs, but people in construction, in hospitality, in hairdressing. Mm -hmm. I think 60% of men were saying that they... They put the blame at the door of their workplace for them having some kind of mental health issue at some point in their life. I think that 30% of them said that absolutely the work was the reason for them having a mental health problem. And crucially, I think at least 15 to 20% said that they felt that their life at work and their opportunity for progression had been hampered by actually acknowledging at work. Men, I think, are still, albeit they may be sort of embracing the whole new narrative of gender equality and women giving far more opportunity and a the, the, the fair roll of the dice, crack of the whip. Um, and yet still, even though they're buying into that and they may all well have a partner at home that they sort of, you shouldn't be sitting there looking after the kid. We should be doing this together. We should be embracing parenthood as a couple and we should be both having equal opportunities in our career. That guy might still feel like the, the, his grandfather who went to work and sort of came home after being at the pub and expected his dinner on the table at 8 o'clock and, and was fairly in his words, stoic about it.
0: Well, but I, but I think, you know, to be quite honest with you, it it is, it's not even his grandfather, probably his father absolutely. was still that. Yeah. So we are still in this really early part of this movement. It's really interesting. And there's part of me that just wants to go to all the guys, right? Okay, how do we now bring this, you know, do I do work like a woman and this one's for you boys next? We've <laughs> just
2: commissioned, with the last six months we've commissioned this big bit of research, the results of which took absolutely eons to go through thousands and thousands of verbatim thoughts to questions from men and there was quant surveys and qualitative surveys all the rest of it the survey became called the paradoxes of modern man Mm. because there are lots of paradoxes at play here and one of those is the, the kind of thing I was talking about there, the fact that men are wanting to embrace this new age of being uh, free to be whoever they are, feeling f- free of expression, whether it be in terms of what they just what they think or whether it be their sexuality, mm. feeling as though they can emote or they can sort of talk about their um, mental health as well as their physical health. They, they haven't got to be that archetypal gorilla of a man. And yet at the same time, they still feel constrained. They, they define themselves by their job and their self-esteem comes from being able to put money on the table and all that kind of old reactionary stuff. But gradually we noticed that there was a kind of a nuanced change between sort of old male values and new male values. And So what when I, you
0: say new male values, what sort of age group would we kind of talk well, the, about? Well, the,
2: the, the interesting thing about the, the people we spoke to were anything from 20 to 50. Oh, right, and actually cool. the 50-year-old guys were often more forward-thinking than the 20s, so yeah. that was the most surprising <clears throat> thing um so i think there is a change going on at all um mm. ages but we talk talking about that change from being like kind of um i don't know the isolated thinker to the independent thinker or going from seeking respect to showing respect mm. and i thought it was a real parallel there between the kind of things that you were talking about yes. and the changes that need to happen in the workplace so courage rather than bravery or sort of vision rather than ambition strength over a sort of perseverance and these are all sort of nuanced changes you know they could well be sort of synonyms in a thesaurus but i think they're quite crucial differences they are crucial um, and so i think there, there absolutely is the appetite for these things to happen and so I, I suppose this is one of the reasons why there's an obsession with culture in um modern workplaces and trying to nurture a culture that allows people to be ostensibly allows people to be who they want to be, but often comes down to be the kind of people that the company wants them to be. Where some of the white collar companies in particular are getting things wrong is trying to parachute a kind of identikit culture down onto people, which says that you know, you can be who you want to be and you, you, we're going to let you be flexible and we, you can be agile. And often these can become a shorthand for actually being, um, you're always on and we can get you wherever you are. So it's almost I think we need to liberate people to accept different personalities within the workplace, and accept that there are going to be alpha characters. Mm. And they may be male or female, but you're also going to get people who prefer sort of um, thinking and writing long emails to sort of shouting opinions in a board meeting, and see that there is value in both. And crucially, if someone is showing some kind of inability to get on board with whether it be some kind of happy clappy session in a kind mm. of a, in, in, in a corporate meeting room or maybe sort of not p- feeling particularly well mentally. Basically acknowledging that these aren't necessarily signs. These aren't weaknesses. They aren't signs that you can't do your job properly and just give people the space to actually be the people that they are.
0: I was going to ask you one, one last question. In your role now, you deal with a lot of sports players yeah. and high performing men. What shift just have you noticed in how they men value themselves now versus when you first started at Men's Health? Because you were talking about the six-pack and all that. And also, can we just talk about footballers and why have we not got more footballers are open about their sexuality or whatever? <laughs> I think that's two questions. <laughs> well, you know,
2: anyway. Um, we can talk about it. In fact, my next big mental health project next year is going to be on mental health in sport and looking at how... The reason we actually approached it in the first place is because we thought that actually... That old, really old, old principle that basically you can't have good mental health without good physical health, and you can't have good physical health without good mental health. Yeah, the two, should, there should be parity of esteem in the way they're treated by authorities, but there also should be a link there as well. And yet, you've got to say the world of football—it's gone, it's, it's gone so far. I mean, professional football. I mean, so far from the realms of, of reality. I grew up with kids who were much, much better at football than me, who a number of them and. Three of my best mates, all were on the books at Arsenal, at West Ham, at Tottenham, and without fail, all of them were let go by the time they were 18. So that's inevitably going to yeah, hurt. Course, people. Whereas now you've got kids who are basically—they're not just thinking about being Roy the Rovers; they're thinking of having a Bentley by the time they're yeah. 21, mm-hmm. and may well we even have the Bentley by the time they're 21 and then be let go, uh, go at 22. So I think there's all sorts, and I think people are now being slightly more open. I think the FA and the Premier League are being more open. Their responsibility to these people because they're sort of stringing them along and then sort of casting them aside because only if you know a sort of small proportion do go and see very well as to why there is no one who's actually come out as being homosexual in the Has Premier League
0: Has there been League? there was only one wasn't there Well, then f- a few himself. have it's
2: Justin Fashion who comes out. Uh, there was a guy called Robbie Rogers an American guy he played at Leeds he left Leeds and then came out and now he plays for Los Angeles Galaxy full of admiration for him but clearly there was a reason why he came out after he had left yeah. Very recently, there was a championship footballer who was on an anonymous account on Twitter who was about to come out and he was having conversation with Gary Lineker and they were to, it, was, it was going to happen about a month ago and then he basically just lost his nerve and felt he couldn't do it. Mm. So the fact that there is that kind of culture which still... I say, it's it's so removed from... I don't subscribe that it's just, oh, it's that laddish football banter culture which prevents them to do it. I think it's because they're just removed from reality. I mean, if you can get people in rugby who are openly admitting to being gay, which is a far more Hmm. of an alpha physical Mm. game than football, then I think... It can't purely be that kind of, that, that change also, of mentality. It's more than
0: just the other players, it's the crowd,
2: isn't it? It is the crowd, but then, you know, and the crowd at
0: rugby. And, but it's... I might want to go out further out into a field of crowd of rugby fans <laughs> and i would maybe some football fans in sure. certain parts Sure, but of it's, the not, country. it's not just the
2: homophobia; it's, it's racism as of well. Course, I, mean, it's, of course. Uh, I mean, that's a whole oh, thing. Oh,
0: Toby, really. you've been a dream. Come and work with me. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Toby. That was really interesting. It was. I mean it just makes you realise how big the job still is. Here we are fighting for the women. And we've got to start there. Yes. We definitely do but we also need to embrace... Look after our men. Oh, for sure, for sure. Interesting the way he talked about company culture. You can't say this is our mission, our manifesto, and top down, it has to come from the people. It
1: does. I think as culture director, speaking on behalf of Portas as an agency, (laughs) we have a thing um, we call Culture Club. We have a number of forums, but Culture Club is one of them where people can come and sort of share and go, actually, I don't feel comfortable about this, or I would much prefer to work in this way, or have we thought about... you know hiring people in this way and it's just it's giving people that space and letting them bring their culture whether it's through you know what race they are or what sex they are letting them breathe and influencing the overall culture because fundamentally at the heart of it is kindness, right? Yep. From both ways, from from the business side, from the individual side, and meeting in the middle and having this lovely, fluid two-way conversation I think is the best way of kind of cultivating culture within business.
0: Who have we got on the show next week?
1: Please, Emily <laughs> Bryce Perkins. <laughs> Drumroll. We <coughs> have Dame Inga Beale. Inga was chief exec of Lloyds of London for a number of years. Th- the first the, female. The first female in that role um, largest insurer, I'm going to yeah. say, in the world. Probably. Massive, probably. probably. Um, Inga comes with a brilliant perspective of a woman that didn't necessarily have a plan and somehow made it to the top. has um, got some interesting advice on how younger women can navigate saying yes at work. Mary,
0: mm. can you give us a quote? Of course I will. Uh, <laughs> today's quote is from one of my great heroes. When I first went into the world of retail, my hero was the great... Anita Roddick. Um, She died far too young. She launched The Body Shop. This was a woman who launched a business in the 1970s based on all the things that we are chasing to try and get back through business and in society today. The Body Shop was about giving back. It was about caring for our planet. It was about caring for people. We need each and every one of us to know that we can make a difference. We need business that respects and supports communities and families we need business that safeguards the environment. We need business that encourages countries to educate their children, heal their sick, value the work of women and respect human rights.
1: We'll see you next week for Beal. Yes, bye for now.